0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. I'm your host for today, Marcus Johnson. Today's topic, the end of Medicaid's continuous enrollment requirement, also known as the unwinding. What is this unwinding? Well, since the beginning phases of the pandemic, more than three years ago, the federal government has prohibited states from disenrolling Medicaid members, regardless of their eligibility status. The goal was to protect the health insurance coverage of individuals and families who were most at risk during the pandemic. Fast forward three years, and with the fading of the pandemic, the federal government has once again allowed states to restart their normal process for determining Medicaid eligibility beginning April 1st. What does this mean for Arizona? It means a large number of people who are currently covered by Medicaid, roughly 650,000 Arizonans, May no longer qualify and may be at risk of losing their coverage. Fortunately, Arizona's Medicaid program, the Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System, commonly referred to as AXIS, and local partners have long been preparing for this unwinding and are working hard to ensure that Arizonans take action to maintain their Medicaid coverage or find quality coverage elsewhere. Today, We're talking to two colleagues who work to improve health insurance coverage across Arizona, Claudia Maldonado with the Arizona Alliance for Community Health Centers and Matt Jewett with Children's Action Alliance. In partnership with organizations across the state, they are helping to lead the charge to protect Arizonans coverage during the unwinding. Let's dive in. This is the Vitalist Spark. We are thrilled to be joined today by two incredible guests, one of which you've heard on this podcast before, Claudia Maldonado. Claudia is the Director of Outreach and Enrollment with the Arizona Alliance for Community Health Centers. Claudia, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Marcus. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. And also, relatively new to his position at Children's Action Alliance, but not an unfamiliar face in the health policy world here in Arizona, it's Mr. Matt Jewett, Director of Health Policy for Children's Action Alliance. Matt? Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Marcus.
0: Great to have you here. All right. So we are here today to talk about the Medicaid unwinding process. It's also more formally known as the end of the continuous enrollment requirements. This is kind of a wonky policy-based topic. We've heard a little bit about it in the news. But we're going to take some time to dive deeper into it to better understand exactly what it is, what the implications are, and what we as professionals should be thinking about and what consumers and members of Medicaid should actually be thinking about doing in the next year or so. But before we dive into the content, let's talk about ourselves a little bit. Claudia, remind our audience who you are, what your current role is. And if you've got a favorite part of your job that you want to let people know about.
1: Thank you, Marcus. Again, I'm the director of outreach and enrollment at the Arizona Alliance for Community Health Centers. I have been here now for over two years, but I've been in this type of work that involves health system navigation and understanding our health insurance programs here in the state now for over 15 years. And in my current role, I oversee work that is being done with our health centers, our members across the state, and their leads within outreach and enrollment to make sure that you know we're connecting our communities to health insurance programs or sliding fee scales. And so all of that work I'm very excited to be a part of. And the favorite part of my job to me is the building of bridges and relationships in this work ultimately making sure that this information like you said Marcus it can be a little bit complicated it can be a little bit wonky making sure that it gets out to our communities so that they get connected to healthcare when they need it most
0: that's great thanks Claudia and you and I we all work very closely together on a day-to-day, on a weekly basis, particularly during the open enrollment period. So many thanks to you and your team at the Arizona Alliance for Community Health Centers, because without your work, far fewer people in the state would be insured right now. So thanks for all your partnership over the years. Next to the stage, Matt Jewett with Children's Action Alliance. Matt, tell us a little about yourself.
2: I worked for Children's Action Alliance from 2004 to 2013 in a research associate role. And then as director of health policy, I oversaw outreach and advocacy campaigns, including a campaign that increased our enrollment in Kids Care, our state's children's health insurance program, by 30% over the course of 18 months. And then I left to oversee grants for a community health center here in the Valley, oversaw grants for building a new clinic and all kinds of health programs for 100,000 patients around Maricopa County. And then I recently came back in March of 2023 to my old role, reprising my role as director of health policy at Children's Action Alliance. And the first thing that I jumped into was as the public health emergency unwinds and we return to regular renewals for access Medicaid.
0: Well, it's great to have you back in the seat, Matt. I know that even though you weren't always, over the past few years, occupying a health policy director seat, you are somebody who can't seem to stay away from policy or health policy in general. So it is in your DNA. So I'm glad to see you back. All right, Matt. So you said that, you know, as soon as you got back into this seat and back into this position as director of health policy, you were kind of, once again, just thrown into the fire. The public health emergency started to unwind. There's a number of policy pieces that are unwound with that but one of the most significant ones is the fact that this continuous coverage requirement in medicaid has ended as of april 1st so for those of us who are not involved in the world of health policy on a day-to-day basis and probably sleep better at night than those of us who are help us better understand what is this unwinding and what is this continuous coverage ending
2: so there was a state of emergency that came about when COVID hit, of course, and a number of things happened, including the federal government told the states that they could no longer disenroll people from their Medicaid rolls. And in Arizona, access, as listeners of the podcast know, is what we call Medicaid. And so in that time, basically, if somebody died or moved out of state, they could be disenrolled from access. But if people went were over income or they didn't do the renewals that they have to do every six or 12 months to stay enrolled in access then they could not be disenrolled so access enrollment grew considerably and today we have two and a half million Arizonans who are enrolled in access of those two and a half million there are about 650,000 although that number is shrinking, who basically would not still be enrolled if not for the public health emergency. So it either means that ACCESS believes that they are over income and make too much for ACCESS coverage, or that they did not complete their renewals on time. Now, in addition to everyone who has to continue to do their renewals every six months or 12 months in ACCESS, those 650,000 of the two and a half million people enrolled in ACCESS who basically wouldn't otherwise be enrolled are now being given new renewal dates and slowly over the course of the next year they're being given a chance to show that they might still be eligible for access
0: you mentioned this two and a half million number two and a half million arizonans that are now covered by access how does that compare to like pre-covid times Is it still pretty similar or have we seen changes there
2: Right. It has gone up considerably. It was uh, close to, or just under 2 million in that time. And uh, the increase is pretty similar to the number of people who are in that COVID override population. So now the state needs to go back as all states are doing and uh, redetermine eligibility for those folks who either are thought to be over income or who didn't do their eligibility renewals. We actually have our first bit of data that just came out this week, the first month of that. Access is actually prioritizing people who they believe are over income, and those people were given a chance to show that they were still eligible. Access thinks that these folks are over income probably in part because they query other databases that might have records from the Department of Revenue or if people have applied for other benefits like... SNAP, which is still commonly called by its old name, food stamps, access is able to get that information. And so they basically think that some of these folks are over income, but two thirds of those that they asked for information from in the month of April ended up meeting the qualifications. So two thirds of the people that access asked to renew in April who were in that COVID override population ended up staying. What's more is we've seen that the renewal rates are even higher for Black and Native Americans who are enrolled in access, which is great. We don't have a whole lot of data, but the preliminary data that we're seeing is that basically across racial and ethnic groups, we have a very high percentage of the people who access thought may or may not be eligible, turns out are eligible. We don't know entirely why this is. It could be that as interest rates are going up, perhaps the economy is slowing. It could have been that at some point during the course of the pandemic, people's income has likely fluctuated. Access may have information that sometime in the last three years, these people's income was over the eligibility limit for access. But then in April, when they said, hey, show us that your income still qualifies you, they ended up qualifying. But that's really common with access is that we see a lot of churn. There are a lot of people whose income goes up and they're no longer eligible. And then a few months later, their income goes down and they're eligible again.
0: Yeah, I recall from pre-COVID days at any given month, you'd see tens of thousands of Medicaid members going off the rolls, coming on the rolls due to fluctuations in income or other eligibility criteria. So it's not unique to kind of get back to this pre-pandemic kind of normal churn. Yeah. Matt, you mentioned that you know there's 650,000 individuals currently on Medicaid who may be at risk of losing health insurance coverage. I think in a lot of the news cycles, particularly around April 1st of this year, when this redetermination process kicked in again, there's a lot of news coverage about 650,000 Arizonans could lose health insurance coverage when this hits. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you, and based off of this admittedly preliminary data set that's been released. Sounds like that's
2: not necessarily happening right now. Right. Nationwide, things work differently in different states. And there are some states that had actually stopped doing renewals for a period of time during the pandemic. And it meant that there was a larger portion of their Medicaid population that might have needed to be renewed. In Arizona, we continued doing eligibility renewals throughout most of the pandemic and that resulted in a lot of people complying it's just that there were some people whose incomes of course had fluctuated and they were no longer deemed to be eligible except that with the public health emergency they were allowed to stay on and also the folks that that didn't do their renewals but i think to some extent there were some looking for a news story that something could go wrong and i think there were some very not unfounded fears that things could go wrong. Eligibility has often been a barrier for children and for families and adults. Oftentimes, it is difficult to navigate a maze of bureaucracy in order to prove that someone is eligible for the benefits for which they are eligible. The good news is that between the Affordable Care Act, streamlining eligibility a few years back, and increased information technology that allows three quarters of the renewals in access to be done ex parte meaning that the enrollee doesn't have to do anything access is able to query other databases and find out information on people that shows that they're still eligible so it is concerning that this number of people have to go through eligibility again especially given that eligibility has often been a barrier. It's been bureaucratic. There's been paperwork, but that really has improved over the years.
0: Claudia, Matt mentioned this 650,000 number, 650,000 Arizonans that are kind of potentially at risk of losing health insurance coverage due to the renewal of this redetermination process. I know Axis also shared information with community partners about that number of individuals. They call it the COVID override population, basically those who are at risk. So when you're thinking about outreach and building awareness, how are you using that information to kind of understand where do you go? Like, how do you outreach to these individuals What sorts of information do we know about those 650,000 Arizonans to help us with building awareness and doing outreach?
1: That's a really good question. When it relates to outreach, it's important to understand where we might have these respective high risk pockets, right? And so, what we know about this particular COVID override list is that we obviously know Maricopa County, being the most populous county, will have many that are part of this COVID override list but something else that we have been talking about at the alliance and with our health centers who are in the rural areas are some of those other places those cities where they may have a much smaller population but they have a very high number of you know, access or potentially kids care enrollees. And so, you know, kind of talking through how to strategize and get and continue to get the word out to those communities that listen, it's you're going to have to renew and if you've moved at any point in time during these you know past 3 years that access needs to make sure that they need to get a hold of you so when we're strategizing yes it's important to look at the most populous counties but then also not forgetting about those rural areas as well as understanding that children you know are very much at risk you know who are part of this covid override list to to lose their their benefits and we don't want them to right we want to make sure they continue to get those wellness visits and all those checkups that they need so as we think about outreach you know using maps using data and and then also understanding the nuances of your community right not all of our communities are the same they each have their own personality they each have their own i think of it as like an ecosystem how people like to receive information sometimes it's a a local radio show that people love to listen to and that's how they get their information so when you think about outreach it really just depends on knowing the community that you're targeting but most importantly understanding how those communities like to receive information
0: yeah it's i mean gone are the days when Outreach was most effective solely by sending snail mail to individuals and families, right? Like I think that is still required. It is still necessary to do as one strategy, but it's got to be a lot more than that. Claudia, to your point, you have to know the community you're reaching out to, know what they will actually, actually hear, what they'll actually see, what they'll listen to, and what will, if you have a call to action, what will move them to, to taking action?
1: Exactly. And I think the strategies for outreach, you know, like I said, they can vary, you know, I think technology still has an important role to play in this, you know, with the inclusion of, you know, starting to use QR codes. I know health centers have been trying to use their EHR uh, systems to send out, you know, mass texts, you know, to their patients. And so, because, you know, most of us do receive appointment reminders through text now, right? So it's a very common thing or common strategy to use in communication. So as we move through this, you know, that outreach piece is will continue to be really important for our communities and those of us who are doing as much as we can to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks.
0: Let's dive a little bit deeper into the strategies that are being employed right now in order to reach out to these met to really to all 2.5 million access members that have to go through this process again, but particularly with those 650,000 Arizonans who may or may not qualify for Medicaid still. What are some of the activities or the strategies or the interventions that, whether it's Children's Action Alliance or the Alliance for Community Health Centers or other partners, what are some of the strategies that you're taking on in order to build awareness about this?
1: Well, can I can start. Well, one of the biggest strategies that Access has encouraged is for the managed care organizations or the health plans. That provide services on, on access to send um, lists, you know, their COVID override lists to health centers. And so that is one strategy that has been it's it started quite a few months ago, but now it's really, you know, kind of hit the ground running a little bit more. And you know, having the health centers involved in this is really critical because. You know, there are oftentimes that first touch point for a lot of communities and, you know, having that collaboration between the health plans and the community health centers, it just means it adds another layer, right, to the possibility of reaching that Medicaid beneficiary that doesn't just rely on, you know, a notice or a text message, but another entity that is actively trying to reach out to them.
2: Children's Action Alliance has also been convening a coalition of people who are interested, and that includes the community health centers, the health plans with access. We've been outreaching to groups as diverse as the association of librarians because we know that some people may not have the internet access at home and could be going to a library in order to do their renewals so we want librarians to be able to help them we just sent an email out to 500 school district employees around the state who are assist with the McKinney-Vento homelessness services for students in school districts we have also talked with quite a bit of media from local to national about what it is people should do, which is make sure that their contact information is up to date with access. They can do that through their health plan by calling the number on the back of their ID card. They can do it by going to the website healthe.arizonaplus.gov and updating their information there. They can go to an assister whether it's inside of a community health center or assisters or navigators that are available to help them at food banks or locations all over the state. I think it helps that in Arizona, we've had significant outreach before. We have a coalition that does SNAP outreach, SNAP often called by its old title Food Stamps, that is the same application. It's the same 1E application with access. So... We have food banks across the state. We have literally hundreds of people who are community assisters that can help folks register for their benefits, including access. Claudia also hit on some of the hard to reach communities. And we do have some data out there as a little bit of a data nerd myself. We know that the big cities have the largest number of people who are. At risk of potentially losing health insurance because that's where the people are. But we also have found a lot of the hot spots in the state where we have smaller populations, but a high percentage of the people are enrolled in access or a high percentage of the people are in that COVID override population. A lot of those communities have been in tribal areas and also in border communities and a number of other rural areas. Children's Action Alliance has grant funding and has done some radio ads and I believe some print ads in the Navajo Nation in Northeastern Arizona. We have billboards up in several parts of the state encouraging people to look for that envelope coming from DES, not ACCESS. DES is the agency that does the eligibility redeterminations. And we're going to continue with some digital ads and A number of other ad buys probably mostly radio
0: matt you did a good job of kind of outlining some of the qualities or the assets that we have in arizona that ideally will help to facilitate success in this effort i'm curious you know matt and claudia what are some of the other factors that you think will determine the rate at which states can be successful in mitigating improper coverage loss. What will be some of those determining factors, either state by state or even city by city, that you think will ultimately impact how successful some of these efforts are?
2: I think the fact that three quarters of access renewals are done ex parte, meaning they're done rather automatically by querying databases and not making people jump through hoops. That is truly a best practice. I believe nationally, the rates are closer to half of renewals being done ex parte. In addition to, as we mentioned, the wide network of assisters that can help people, access is also texting people. They're not just counting on people to check their snail mail. Access is allowing people, if their coverage does lapse, they can go provide information showing that they are still eligible and go back and have their coverage retroactively reinstated without having to start a whole new application. So there are a number of things that are being done to really simplify the administrative procedures here and not make people jump through extra hoops.
1: Yeah, and kind of Bouncing off of that, I mean, when I've talked to other primary care associations across the state, across the country, and talking about what they're going through with the end of continuous enrollment, I kind of sit back and I say to myself, wow, you know, we have done, Arizona has done an immense amount of work. To prepare for this. A lot of these changes are administrative changes, you know, from aligning to the SNAP household renewal the with the access renewal date. That's such a key component and aligning it all for the household because what's really common within our programs is, you know, you may have a family and, and that family has to continuously come in and renew their benefits. You know, mom might be one month, you know kids might be three weeks later, and then you know, let's say dad is another month later, and so for this redetermination phase, you know, Alex Access has made strides to ensure that okay, we're going to align SNAP, we're going to align access renewal, and we're going to align it for everyone in the household, and that again shows. A willingness, like Matt said, to kind of remove some of these you know, procedural barriers for our communities. And I think going forward, what will make this successful is the ongoing collaboration between access, the health plans, all of the enrollment sister community, the coalitions, and continuing to ensure that these processes and things that they've built, for this you know are running smoothly and that there is good communication between all of the stakeholders to make sure that we are you know helping people as much as possible
0: Matt you said it and Claudia you're reiterating this that like the simpler that you're able to make this process the better it's going to be the more the easier it'll be for individuals and consumers to ensure that they don't fall through the cracks that there's not a bunch of administrative hoops and i i was just searching online a couple hours ago i was trying to figure out i think other additional data was released from arkansas was it about their initial set of or their initial month of the unwinding period and i forgot the figures but the headline was that the vast majority of individuals who were disenrolled which was a really high number compared to their overall Medicaid population, the vast majority of those disenrolled were disenrolled because of challenges in paperwork, or they just weren't able to, they weren't able to submit all the documentation that they needed to do. And so this wonky policy piece about this quote unquote ex parte renewal is really important because it simplifies the process for the beneficiaries.
2: Right. We haven't seen that data yet from Arizona. Well, our overall data shows that we have a very high percentage of people who were due for renewal who were renewed. We don't have data on the reasons that people were disenrolled. And uh, that's something I'd like to see. I'd also like to see what number of applications are moving back and forth between access and kids' care, because kids' care is for those kids and families that make too much for traditional access, but they still don't have health insurance. We also will be getting numbers, I understand, from the federal government that operates Arizona's health insurance marketplace through healthcare.gov to see how many of those applications went to the marketplace because some people will be over income and they will now be eligible for different kinds of coverage. But as much as possible, we need a one-stop shop that makes it as easy as possible. It should not be up to hardworking families to figure out, okay, based on my situation, which is the program I'm eligible for. We need to have one place where people can go and find that coverage and be directed to what works for their situation. And the good news is that Claudia and her navigator program does exactly that because they can help with the health insurance marketplace, they can help with access and kids care, they can help in many cases with sliding fee scale programs at community health centers, and that's what we need. Yeah,
0: Claudia, go into that a little bit. For those in the audience who don't know about the navigator program or the navigator grant, can you give a little bit of history? of what Navigators are what the Navigator grantees do and I think it connects pretty well to Matt's point about Arizona having a long-standing kind of infrastructure and coalitions that have been built to do some of this work
1: yeah of course so the Navigators are a grant-funded program through our Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and they were really created out of the passage of the Affordable Care Act and the role that these navigators play in our communities is that they are someone who is certified and licensed to assist individuals and or families through their healthcare options in a very unbiased manner that always puts what that consumer needs and what is best for them at the forefront and so these navigators provide services for free across our entire state and they're really meant to be uh you know knowledgeable about not only our access program our kids care program but also the marketplace you know here in arizona people we still have to do a lot of education around informing people that there is another option for them other than just Access and Kids Care we have actually another stepping stone i always think of this as kind of like stepping stones that we have the marketplace it's another health insurance program that exists for people in our state and so our navigators are really meant to be in community doing outreach talking and engaging and helping people make those decisions like matt said If you're a working family, you don't necessarily have the time to be juggling different portals, understanding requirements for one portal and then another portal. And how do I know which one I need to start in? There's two of them. So what navigators do is they basically understand how all this works and they'll sit you down, you know, in person or even potentially over the phone and they'll walk you through this. That is their purpose. That is their function. And they're really there for anyone in the community.
0: So 650,000 Arizonans potentially at risk of losing their Medicaid coverage. They're going to federally qualified health centers. They're going to the health care providers. They're going to all these places. What are you hearing from your community partners who are on the ground doing this important work?
1: what we're really hearing from them is that they haven't heard as much noise if you want to call it that you know people coming in i mean they do have people starting to come in people are starting to ask questions you know they want to you know they're telling them to keep an eye out for this but they what they're really finding is that i think this process is really a measured process right and so I think we'll have a lot more information in the coming months about how this really starts to play out as we do this more and more through the coming months. But as of right now, it's still fairly, it feels very calm and I feel funny saying that. (laughs) But I will say that it's because of the relationships that have been built in communities through health centers and other community-based partners that people are coming in and asking questions you know they are seeing more of an influx of that they are getting more calls so that is for sure increasing but what makes me happy is that they're calling and they're asking it's not crickets if there would be crickets i would be worried and that's most certainly not the case right now I'm just glad that they're connecting to these trusted sources.
2: Also, there will be some transition for people. In access, people do not have to pay co-pays and deductibles, which as they move into marketplace plans, that could be the case. They may find that there is a more narrow network of providers, but there are some provisions in state law, if you are in the midst of certain kinds of uh of care, uh, I don't recall exactly, pregnancy or other kinds of you know, terminal illness or you know, cancer care or something along that lines where people are allowed to keep uh, their coverage and make it portable. But those are the things, the nuances that do exist in the health insurance marketplace that people have to look at when they are shopping and comparing plans. So that's why it's a good idea for people to meet with a navigator, like one of the organizations Claudia works with. Also, the federal government is doing some things to try to make the transition a little bit easier. I represent a children's organization, but I can tell you on the other end of the age spectrum, Medicare is very important. And many people out there know that you have to enroll in Medicare by a certain age or you can face a late enrollment penalty and that's waived if you are still have employer coverage but the federal government has actually made some additional exceptions during this period where we are coming out of a public health emergency where people who did not sign up for medicare on time uh, can still get in and not have to pay that late enrollment penalty the other thing is that there are many people who are eligible for both Medicare and for access. We call those the dual eligible population. And some people may be doing their renewals now for the first time in three years, and they may find out that they're over income and losing their access and they just have Medicare. Well, you can actually change Medicare during open enrollment, right? You can select a Medicare Advantage plan. You can go on to Medicare Part D. The federal government is allowing people outside of open enrollment period this year. If you find out that you if you've lost your access coverage, but you're also Medicare eligible, you can make changes to your Medicare coverage. You could go in and you can select a Medicare Part D plan so that you don't lose your prescription drug access. You can go to a Medicare Advantage plan that's gonna cover those things. And there is a state health insurance program run by the Area Agency on Aging And they have a similar program to what Claudia has with the navigators who can help specifically just with that. And that is run by the Area Agency on Aging. And if people are interested in help with that, they can call 1-800-432-4040. And since I'm giving out that number, I might as well say that if people are interested in any sort of help with their health insurance, they can call 211 from anywhere across Arizona, I believe, and be connected to a navigator, to an assister that can help them.
0: Matt Jewett has been out of the health policy game for how many years?
2: Well, I mean, nine years, but not totally. I Worked it for a healthcare provider, so I saw what the laws and the policies that are passed, how they actually affect people, including healthcare providers and clinicians.
0: I was going to say you haven't skipped a beat at all, Matt.
2: Well, thanks.
0: When you take a step back and think about why you're doing this work, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I know that part of this is to really minimize the rate of uninsured across the state of Arizona. We want to get as many people health insurance coverage as possible because it in part is an evident, evidence-based practice on improving health and well-being. So when you take a step back and you look at the uninsured rate as a whole, most analysts are indicating that we're likely at an all-time low for the uninsured rate in the United States. And this in large part is due to this continuous coverage requirement in Medicaid. It is in part due to some changes that Congress made during the pandemic to make the marketplace far more affordable for far more people, which has boosted marketplace enrollment to an all-time high. So as we move into this period of the public health emergencies unwinding and the end of the continuous coverage requirements, Do you think that these record lows for uninsured rates will stick around, or do you think that we're likely to kind of revert back to where we were pre-pandemic?
2: I believe, Marcus, that anytime we have eligibility as something that can be a barrier, it creates barriers to health insurance. And that is probably going to result in more people not having health insurance. Most of the people who are losing health insurance because they're over income, admittedly, are going to be eligible for something else. But the more bureaucracy there is, and the more paperwork, and the more hoops we make people jump through, the more people especially those people who don't feel they need it we're often the healthiest the cheapest to insure but the ones who are most important from a financial standpoint you can't just have a health insurance plan that just has sick people same way you can't have a home insurance plan that only exists to people whose homes are on fire so we need to continue to work on keeping enrollment as streamlined as possible The good news is that, as you mentioned, we have done so much over the years through improved computer systems. There's still a lot that could happen in terms of updating and improving computer systems. There is work that some states are doing to allow people to check a box on their income taxes, saying, yes, please contact me about health insurance options. It gives a sense of legitimacy when it's on your tax form. And they know it's not someone scamming them, who's going to contact them. And already in Arizona, that information does get exchanged between the Department of Revenue, who, to whom we pay our taxes, and access. So that's an option out there. There are a number of things that can be done. But I think we the fact that we've been through this and we've seen how Many more people get the care they need or at least get the insurance that they need for the care they need when there aren't these extra barriers is has been a bit of a lesson for us. And I hope we learn from it going forward.
1: I agree with what Matt said, you know, seeing the boots on the ground and seeing these navigators and this uh, sister community go through the pandemic and you know try to continue to provide the service when you know they're not able to see people face to face it really created some unique opportunities for you know kind of doing things outside of the box it increased you know we saw more flexibility within the programs right to remove some of these procedural pieces that we know can be barriers to people who are applying for these services and so i think If we continue to be flexible and continue to remove these procedural or these other barriers that exist for these programs, we will absolutely, you know, be able to insure more people. But if we don't, then our uninsured numbers will most likely increase because oftentimes half the battle can be the paperwork. It may not be the application itself, but it could be the paperwork or something else so i think it's critically important that we think about these things and the people who are interacting with these systems and how it's not easy to try to fill out an application if you just found out you have a cancer diagnosis (laughs) or if you just found out your child is immunocompromised or something and so we just have to keep leading with community intent as we move forward
0: and not to forget that absent some sort of horrible health diagnosis the majority of us aren't thinking about health insurance coverage on a day-to-day basis. There's a lot of other things going on in our lives and everyone's lives. And so the easier we make it for people to, to sign up and to stay signed up so long as they're eligible, the better it's gonna be for everyone. I'm giving each of you a pen. I'm giving each of you a piece of paper, and you're gonna write three letters. The first letter is to Arizonans who currently have Medicaid coverage. You're writing, Dear Arizonans currently on Medicaid, remember this. What do you write to them? The second letter is to community partners. Dear community partners, As this Medicaid unwinding process rolls out, remember this. And your last letter is to AXIS. Dear AXIS, as you move your way through this unwinding, please remember this. What are you saying to each of those stakeholders? First, Medicaid members. Second, community partners. Third, to AXIS.
2: Claudia told me she wanted to go first on this one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So dear Medicaid member, I want you to know that there is an entire community out there waiting for you to get help and know that you do not have to do this alone. So whenever you get that notice or if you hear little flutters and whispers of having to do a, a renewal for your coverage, know that you don't have to do this alone that Cover Arizona, the Navigators, and the Enrollment Assister community is here for you.
0: That was great. That was a great letter. I felt a little tear coming in my eye. (laughs) It's genuine. That was fantastic.
1: So dear community members, I want you to know that you can come and be a partner with all of us in this endeavor with the end of continuous enrollment. And I know we can continue working together to helping our families and our individuals be healthier If and when you hear about access and changes in the access program or health insurance changes, please know that, again, there's an entire community that wants to partner with you because we know you already have the trust, you may have the space, and you have the connection to the community members that we want to reach. So just know that we want to build bridges with you. And dear ACCESS, please remember that we are here to work along with you. Please know that we welcome the opportunity to brainstorm with you, to be part of focus groups with you in anything that will help improve the consumer experience, the customer experience as they interact with these systems and these programs that you manage. And so don't forget that there is a wealth of knowledge out there that we are more than willing to share with you and that we really do see this as a partnership because we're all working along with you to reduce the number of
2: uninsured. I don't think I could top that. I know, Matt, you should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have much to add to that other than if you are currently enrolled in Access, make sure to keep your information up to date. And you can do that, again, through your health plan. Your health plan will get that to Access. It's on the back of your enrollment card. You can do that by visiting Health. Arizona plus.gov or you can visit any of the amazing community of people who are there as claudia mentioned to help you so that you don't have to do it alone and don't let the coverage slip and don't be afraid because there are multiple options available i would also add that for access Doing anything possible to reduce barriers and not making people jump through hoops and maximizing technology, which the agency has already done to a large extent, would be helpful. We now have 12 months of continuous eligibility for people who are pregnant. That means that we no longer have new moms who just gave birth a couple months ago and may be dealing with. A lot of the things that new moms deal with, but also could be dealing with certain health issues that could have come from pregnancy. We've had a tremendous epidemic, really, of maternal deaths in this country. We have among the highest maternal death rate in the developed world. And it is particularly a problem among Black and Native American communities. And For them not to have to worry two months after giving birth about doing their access eligibility, redetermination and having 12 months of continuous eligibility is really important. We really should have that for young children, zero to five. They're doing that in, I think it's Oregon, one of the Pacific Northwest states. And we in Arizona are now doing this, fortunately, for former foster youth in In the Affordable Care Act, many people remember one of the most popular features was that young adults could stay on their parents' health insurance up to the age of 26. Well, if you were in foster care at the time you turned 18 and you were never reunified with your family, you're kind of out on your own. The good news is that the state and the feds allow young adults who have come out of foster care to be in in Medicaid. I believe they're allowed in Medicaid regardless of their income. And they're allowed up to age 26, just like anyone else who would stay on their parents' insurance. But we would still send a renewal form and make people go through that renewal process while the law says they're going to be eligible, no matter what their income is. So now we've stopped sending that renewal form, and it's just continuous eligibility until you're 26 if you're a former foster youth, because those youth are our kids as, a, as the state, and they get to stay on our health insurance. So we've seen how that's helped. We need to continue to do that. I'd love to see from a policy standpoint, I'd really love to see us cover more pregnant patients. We have one of the lowest income thresholds. Pregnant patients are traditionally covered at a much higher income rate than other people. You can usually get into Medicaid when you're pregnant at a much higher income level than you would otherwise. In Arizona, there's not a whole lot of a difference if you're expecting you can be in medicaid at a very slightly higher income level i'd like to see us raise the income eligibility level for that in kids care we also we can celebrate the fact that the budget that the governor just signed does increase eligibility for kids care so instead of twice the federal poverty level we now go up to 225% of the federal poverty level once that's approved by the federal government so my hope is within a few months that will be implemented also we would love to see The state get rid of some of the other requirements to get into kids' care. Families have to, the child either has to have been uninsured for three months or they have to have had some kind of qualifying event where their parent lost their employer coverage or they're coming in from access because their income came up. Again, those are barriers, and we want to eliminate as many of those barriers as possible for kids' care. And then the final policy I would really love to see, and these are things that really our legislature and governor need to address, is that even after you are here legally, you get a green card, you're still not eligible for Medicaid for the first five years. Now, states have the option for to exempt people if they are pregnant or children from that five-year bar and that is so important because you don't want to waste five years in childhood five years is everything it's the foundation to grow up healthy and so we think that legally residing children the federal government allows Medicaid coverage Arizona ought to take advantage of that option so that all legally residing children regardless of how long they've been legally residing have that eligibility Matt
0: Jewett of Children's Action Alliance, Claudia Maldonado of the Arizona Alliance for Community Health Centers. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing out there in the community, both on the ground and at the policy level. And thank you so much for being esteemed guests and colleagues here on the Vitalist Spark podcast. Thanks Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks again to Claudia Maldonado and Matt Jewett for convening community partners, keeping us informed, And building awareness of this pivotal period for health insurance coverage in Arizona. As you heard, Arizona's Medicaid program, AXIS, will be redetermining eligibility for all Medicaid members over the course of the next year. If you, a friend or a family member, are covered by Medicaid, or if you work for an organization that serves Arizonans who may be on Medicaid, remember these two things. First, All Medicaid members need to ensure that their information is updated on HealthyArizonaPlus.org. That's health, the letter E, Arizona, plus, spelled P-L-U-S, dot org. If Medicaid or Access members have questions and they need to speak with somebody about their options, call 211 or visit CoverAZ.org to schedule an appointment with an assister. As we discussed, Arizona's uninsured rate is likely at an all-time low, meaning that more Arizonans have health insurance than at any point in history. Let's do what we can, collectively, to keep it that way. As always, many thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for production and sound design. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.